Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode on the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. AJ Vaden here, and I am with a very good friend of mine, Amanda Mariucci. And today is always exciting to me whenever I get to do podcast interviews, but then when you get to do them with people that you actually really know personally, and you get to share their business and their expertise and their brilliance just makes it extra fun. And so before I formally introduce Amanda, I want to tell you why you need to stick around for this episode. So here's why you want to listen to this episode. One, the main reason I have invited Amanda on to our podcast is because of the growing number of questions that our community and our listeners like you ask us all the time around do I need an app? And if I do, how do I know when I am ready to get an app? And Amanda is going to answer those two questions very specifically with real tangible data around why you should or why you shouldn't, when you should, and what that process looks like. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that there is this growing trend in the world called mobile apps, right? And there are a lot of things behind the scenes that most of us don't realize when it comes to building, launching, growing, or even potentially monetizing an app. And so we're going to talk about some of that behind the scenes work and really what that means for the everyday entrepreneur, small business owner, coach, consultant, speaker, and what that world is going to look like in the next five, 10, so forth years. And then the third thing that you're going to learn, and uh, this is also selfishly, is if you are ready for an app, what does that process look like? Like, does it really have to cost hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars? And does it have to take years? And we're going to find the answers to that too. So without further ado, uh, let's get right into it. So I'm going to give you a little formal bio on Amanda, and then we'll jump in. And the rest of this will be super casual. But Amanda is the CEO of App Adventures, which is an award-winning international custom tech company. They have won lots of awards. And I actually had one of Amanda's clients on our podcast just a little while ago. The company is called Keep With. And Amanda's team is the one who actually developed and brought that idea to a life in app form. So it's so cool to not only get to know you, but to see your business actually bring things to fruition and products and services that I actually really love and enjoy. But I would tell you also, she has developed and led hundreds of top tier software experts to launch over 1000 apps, which is amazing. Um, these apps are averaging a three times return on investment. She has, or <laughs> not to divulge your many years of experience, but more than 20 years of experience working with startups, Fortune 500 government and nonprofits. But I tell you, if you're not watching this, Amanda does not look like she has been in business for more than 20 years. So <laughs> all that said, Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's good to see you, AJ. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about this. And before we get into the nitty gritty details of 
building an app and what that process takes. I want people to get to know you a little bit and how you got into this business. But right before we do that, to kind of give people a preview of what to expect for the rest of this interview, can you just give us some very quick highlighted data, trends, insights around what this growing world of apps looks like and where you see it heading? I love this question. Yeah. So the biggest trend that I'm watching right now that really I think a lot of your clients and listeners are going to care about is the shifts that kind of the larger social media companies are taking where they're starting to lock down some of the most valuable elements of their platform. So for example, the most simple example I can share is you can no longer embed a private Facebook group into your app. And really, Facebook knows that. They know that people really are starting to build their own private communities. Mm-hmm. And that's where the value is. And they're going to want to hang on to that. And so as I've been working with our clients, I want them to look ahead just a few years down the line and consider how are you going to engage your audience or serve your customers if platforms like Facebook or Twitter or I mean, Twitter is a big one, obviously. It's been in the news for a lot of reasons. recently. And Instagram, what if they start changing their algorithms, changing their rules, starting to lock down their access? How are you as a thought leader, as a community leader, as somebody who's serving your clients, how are you going to protect your customer experience? And I'm starting to see some of these changes accelerate. And it's on the one hand, exciting, but on the other hand, something that's giving a lot of our clients some urgency to really plan ahead. Yeah. So that's a really good point because we have a private Facebook group at Brain Builders Group, but we have been urgently trying to figure out what is our long-term and for us long-term is like in the next 12 to 24 months, what does that look like? Because not only do we know that That's not a long-term strategy to build our community on somebody else's platform. And that should be no one's strategy, to be honest. But one of the things that we're also seeing is we're experiencing a growing number of people who don't want to be a part of certain platforms. And I'm that, right? I love you guys. I've been working with you guys for a couple of years now. And I've never been a part of Facebook as like when I've been with Brand Builders Group. I was a part of Facebook when I was a college kid when it first started forever ago. (laughs) But, you know, I think another that ties into the second big trend is really being mindful of how you're using your customer data, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the larger platforms, how they make money is by mining data from the users And that doesn't serve your customers at the end of the day. In fact, it kind of puts them at risk. And so we've been working with our clients on thoughtful ways to gather data in a way that serves your customers instead of just taking, taking, taking. And you also really need to keep an eye on some of the legal changes and regulation changes that are headed our way. I know everyone knows about GDPR in Europe. Similar laws have already passed in California, and you're going to start seeing those laws slowly spread across the country. And you have to be very careful as you're planning ahead for some of that kind of stuff too. So really, I think end users are demanding more, demanding more from the apps that they work with, demanding more privacy, demanding more intimacy, demanding more connection. 
And it's a really exciting time to be developing tech for good that really is in service to end users rather than just taking. Mm, I love that. It's building technology for good. I love that. It's like with any tool, it can be used for good or for harm. Um, And it's like, how do we just do it? That's got this mutual benefit for the end user. So good, y'all. This is why you need to stick around. We're going to get into the nitty gritties of this, but I am super curious. Like, how did you get into this world, this business? Like, give us just a little bit of background of why apps? We could have done so many different things in technology. I know you're wicked smart, but why this? Totally on accident, to be honest (laughs) with you. I fell into technology at an early part of my career. And I think, truthfully, that's what made me successful, right? So I think a lot of times where people get frustrated with technology is you have a business person speaking to a technology engineer, and they just speak past each other, right? And when I first joined the industry, I didn't know anything about technology. That wasn't my expertise. And so I found the smartest people in my organization, and I made them sit down with me and explain everything. And so I think with that, that gave me the ability to blend business and technology and make sense out of something that is really can be overwhelming if you don't understand the nuance. And so I think I built my career on being that bridge between what a business leader wants as an outcome and what is possible from a development perspective. And I've come to realize that's kind of a rare trait to almost act as a translator between the two ends of the business. And it's been incredibly rewarding. So the reason why I stayed was because I believe in my core that technology has the ability to level the playing field. It grants access to vulnerable populations, to affluent populations and everything in between. It really breaks down the barriers between location, right? So, I mean, I have to say, AJ, I found you guys through technology. I mean, Uh Rory was giving a presentation a few years ago at a conference that was on the East Coast that I attended from Denver. And, you know, I think that's been the thing that's kept me so passionately involved in the industry is just that magic of technology to bring together ideas and to make something that wasn't possible yesterday possible today. And especially now more than ever, connecting communities of people that are bound by a single passion or a single interest and just infusing some positivity into the industry. And it's been so rewarding. You know, it's so interesting that you say this. I've, I actually made a post about this book that I'm reading called Find Your People by Jenny Allen. And I love Jenny Allen. And I love this book specifically because it talks about how we're in unprecedented times in America, at least a lack of community. And what an interesting thing with more technology availability and more interfaces and more this, that as a country, we're at an all-time high of people who suffer from depression, anxiety, addiction, and most of that stemming from an internal feeling of loneliness. 
And this entire book talks about loneliness is the real epidemic that we're experiencing here in America. And then all these other things are the byproduct. And so I love what you say, because it's like, again, it's like using technology for good. And, you know, we are most interested in our technology for communal purposes. It's how do we stay in touch with people? How do we connect? How do we stay present and available when we are hundreds or sometimes thousands of miles apart. And I really do at some point during this interview, want to talk about the power of using apps specifically for community, because as we are experiencing on the social media realms of today, and as we will continue, you cannot build your audience on a borrowed platform. And that is Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, that's what they all are. And so if you don't have a plan of building an audience that you own, then at some point you're at the mercy of big tech companies and big investment bankers deciding how you're going to engage with the people that you have built a following with. And so I love what you're saying about just doing it for the purpose of community and doing it for good, because I think that's a really critical part of where business is heading and people are building these communities that are the source of major business and revenue back to this, like, you know, customer loyalty. It's like people stay with people more than they stay with companies. So how do we do more of that? So, okay. So getting into this app conversation, which I love and I'm fascinated by, because I feel like going into the app store is like me going into like TJ Maxx. I'm so overwhelmed. I I go walk in and I'm like, There's like too much here. I don't know what to do. I don't know which one. It's like, I'm like doing it by customer ratings. And it's like, it's so overwhelming to me. It's like, I won't even consider an app until like five or six people have said, you have to have this. And there's just like, it's so overwhelming and there's so many of them. And so there's my question. With them being so many, how do you create something that actually does anything for good? And I guess my real first question is, do you need an app? Yes and no. So (laughs) let me say this, a couple of things. On the loneliness as an epidemic, my belief on that is that we were sold a bill of goods, right? Like we were sold, Facebook is a place for community, right? It's not. It's the town square, right? So any introvert would tell you, and I'm a closet introvert, any introvert would tell you, you don't go to the town square or an example would be like a large concert hall to be filled up and to form an intimate connection. That's not where you go. Like you can go meet people in the town square. You can go meet people in the concert hall, but you build connection outside of that. And I think we really need to be clear on what do you mean by community? Do you mean town square or do you mean intimate connection? And somehow those two buckets have gotten muddled, right? And I think that's a crusade that I'm up against right now is like, great, build your town square, right? Or build your audience in your town square, but you bring them into your community and you protect them. And that's when you'd want an app, right? So we say, look, work with Brand Builders Group, build your following, build your audience. And once you reach a certain kind of magic number in terms of like a certain number of engaged followers, you need to bring them to a place where they're sheltered within your community. And then they start to form intimate bonds. And that's the magic of an app. 
right? So let's go back to the TJ Maxx example. I get also super overwhelmed by TJ Maxx because like the racks are just overwhelming. I can't even. You have to like comb through all of the different types of brands and sizes and product types and all of that. If you could imagine going into TJ Maxx and knowing, okay, it's Thanksgiving, right? It's, I call it the high holiday time, right? It's Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, like the best time of year to decorate, right? And so in that time of year, if I go into TJ Maxx and I know I'm looking for a particular brand of a decor item, Ray Dunn is really well known in TJ Maxx, right? I don't have to spend as much time as much of my attention, as much of my focus combing through all these different products. If I know a very particular brand that I'm going for, another example would be like in clothing and under armor. I know that I'm looking for that brand. So I can go to that rack and more quickly sift through the noise, so to speak, and find the product that I'm looking for. And that's applying that analogy to technology. So one of my biggest gripes is if I'm looking for a particular type of content, not that different than shopping for a particular product, let's say I need some business inspiration, right? I've hit a plateau in my role. I'm tired. I'm burned out. I want to go find some inspiration. The first thing I do is I go to Instagram and I look at all the people that I'm following and let's pretend. AJ posts something really inspiring that I haven't seen before. And I'm like, who is this AJ Vaden? And then I start getting to know you, right? Testing you out a little bit. And then I'm like, I love what she has to say. What else does she have? And then I come upon a post where you're like, hey, I've just launched an app. All of my thoughts, my podcasts, my books, any products that I'm selling, the community that I've built, it's all here in this place, essentially come to my digital store. So we find that customers that rely on simply people finding you through the app store, they don't succeed because the app store is not going to elevate your app. The app store I'll save a lot of my commentary on the challenges of posting something in an app store. That's not the way to market your app. The way to market your app is by building an audience first, having that foundation first, and then having a plan to convert them to app users, right? You build your audience first, and then you protect your community. But you can't protect a community that you don't have, right? So it's such a good reminder to anyone who's listening, because I think we all get tempted of what's the newest bright and shiny thing? What is everyone else doing? And it's a really core part of mine and my husband, Rory's philosophies and a part of Brain Builders Group. It's like there is a time and a place for all the things. And this example, an app is no different than a business model, right? It's like you got to have people to buy your products and services if you're ever going to make any money, right? And so there are two things that you said that I think are really interesting and really important. And you said, there's this magic number, right? Like if you have this many followers and so care to give us any ranges of like what that magic number might yeah. be. 
Yeah. So our most successful clients come to us with an engaged audience of at least 10,000 followers, right? And that can be across channels, right? Because you can have 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. You can have 10,000 followers on Instagram. They can be divided amongst those, right? Now here's why. So there are basically three main revenue streams in an app. The first one is pretty simple, paid subscriptions, right? And the second is advertising, where Mm -hmm. essentially you can set up advertising space within your app and you can work on a content mediation platform. They'll fill in that ad space for you. And then the third would be like sponsors or strategic partners or people that want to have their logo in front of your community. Those are your three. Yeah. It's a podcast. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And so let's do some rough math here. If you can convert half of your 10,000 audience members to paid subscribers, and let's just say you're charging $20 a month for access to your app, and that would be content, the content that you're producing. That would be the community that you've built around your content. I describe that as like a digital country club. So this is an exclusive group of people that are building relationships around your core truth, right? So, or as Brand Builders talks about your through line, right? And these are engaged people that are helping you along your path and building community again around your core truth. And then you might be selling some products, right? So my most successful clients host their podcast on the app. They will put uh, digital versions of their book on the app. If they're selling any physical products, you can sell a physical book. If you want, you can sell shirts or mugs or whatever it is that you're selling to further your brand. And let's say that you have 5,000 users charging $20 a month, low cost for high, high value. When you launch on launch day, you're making a hundred thousand dollars in monthly revenue. I mean, that's game changing for a lot of these thought leaders that I see in the market. And yeah, so, so you said something really quickly, because I'm curious how many people, and this could be just like a wildly guesstimated number here, but how many people do you think are charging for their app versus just giving it for free? Hi, it's AJ Vaden, And thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. So, or should do two versions. You could do a freemium version where you're exposed to ads. Now, okay, so let's talk about ad revenue because. A lot of people kind of have the misconception that ad revenue is based simply on number of downloads, and that's not the case. So you need to have a number of active users. I guess that's where number of downloads makes sense. But if somebody downloads your app and never opens it, you're not making money off of that user, right? So it needs to be somebody that's in your app 
and stays within your app for a longer period of time. And so that's why you need a little bit more. So you need to convert about 80% of your engaged audience to deliver revenue, uh, substantial enough revenue on the freemium side. Although I spend most of my time convincing my customers to have a paid application. And the reason why is one of my sales managers way long time ago said, Amanda, people value what they pay for. (laughs) And so I would say this, back to our most successful apps, they come down to, there are two paths, but the biggest one that we're kind of talking about right now is you form a core truth. What are you here for? What breaks your heart as brand builders taught me? What are you here to solve? That's your core truth. You build content around your core truth and then you build a community that's engaged around that content. That's incredible, regular, high value content and connections that you're providing your users. And I would say any country club charges for admission any movie theater charges for admission, the people that you want in your digital community must be paying because they value what they pay for. And that's what I've seen with our most successful clients in this type of a scenario where you have your core truth, your content, and your community. Okay. So I have like 14 questions right now. (laughs) So, because I think this is really fascinating specifically for our audience who is wildly full of speakers, authors, coaches, trainers, consultants, experts, right? So it's like you could be a mortgage lending expert or a physician. Either way, it's like they are. They're very convicted in building an audience and doing something good with that audience. And so I just think this is a really fascinating concept. So this whole idea of having an app for your community, which I personally love, and it's something... So I think it's just something that's really important as we proceed into the future with the uncertainty of the platforms and the constantly changing algorithm and new rules and laws and regulations and the fact that most of your audience already isn't seeing your content. So just a little bit about how do you build something that you actually get to influence and you actually do get to build connection with. And so going down that rabbit hole, here are some of the questions I have. So I hear you saying a paid app is kind of the way to go. And I think that's really wise. And I actually really appreciate that. I'm asking myself, is there a price point that you see for a paid app for somebody who is building their audience and building a community with an app that is an appropriate price point? Any ranges? Like what's too too little? No. So I would say this, this is not a cop-out. I apologize. It depends, right? So looking at like uh, category type. So like fitness, for example, most of the fitness apps that we're seeing out on the marketplace are charging anywhere between 20 to $40 a month. Right. But hear me out on this, on the fitness side, like you're basically getting a digital personal trainer for $40 a month and tell me where you can go in any gym across the country and get that kind of dedicated, high-level, personalized attention, you can't, right? So I think that's kind of the value there. Now, let's say like Brand Builders Group and what you and Rory have to share, right? You guys are high-level business strategists. You guys are coaches. You guys come in and you work directly with an entrepreneur to help them build up your business, okay? 
where else are you going to find that in the marketplace person to person? And if you're able, I would say charge $50 to $75 a month because you're getting people that are engaged and really want to level up their business. And that's just for the app, AJ. That's not for like access to events. That's not access to products. That's not access to one-on-one coaching, right? All it is is an entrance fee into the sanctuary that you're building for your community, right? And so I would say... Most of our clients start out charging $20 a month just because it's an even easy number for people to absorb. You're not going to get pushback. And then a lot of our clients will engage in A-B testing on pricing. When we work with our clients, we'll kind of do competitive review of what's in the marketplace and what you can charge. The problem is a lot of our clients right now that are thought leaders in this space that are kind of building what we are calling like the digital country clubs they're at the forefront. And so when you're at the forefront, you have to guess. And when you're guessing, you have to compare, okay, how much am I charging versus the value I'm providing? And if that gap is big enough, you'll start seeing volume that comes in much more quickly than if you're kind of just throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks. I love that. So, and I agree. I do think there is so much value in having gated content and building this gated community. And so that leads me to my next question. And, you know, both for me and everyone listening, I figured if I have these questions, so do you who are listening. So then it's what content do you save just for your app versus what content do you continue to put out there? on the different platforms in order to attract people into the app. And so have you seen any successful ratios of what type of content should be gated that people are paying for? And then you mentioned some people even put their podcasts on there. So are they no longer on iTunes and Spotify? And are they only in the app? And how does that really work? So yeah, great question. So let's talk about the podcast piece first. So I would say if you have a podcast, still put it out on iTunes, still put it out on Spotify, because what you're doing is you're fishing, right? Like you're putting lines in the water to attract more people from the town square into your protected community, right? That's the purpose of having an Instagram feed, of having a podcast, of having a blog, having an email newsletter, all of these things. The purpose of those activities are putting lines in the water into the town square, fishing for people to join your protected community. So a lot of times... My frustration is I actually follow a a BBG client on Apple Podcasts and I get super frustrated because Apple is now changing how they set up their podcasts. Without your oversight, they'll put advertisements into your podcast. And you'll start seeing that with podcasts and iBooks even. They're inserting ads. And so you're starting to see the evolution of Apple from a product company to a media company, right? I have noticed that too. And many people who we know who have very, very, very big podcasts, they are quickly going, what? Like you can't put ads on my show without even asking me, but yet they can. They can because it's rented space, right? So I would say in the podcast example, you put that podcast out on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, for fishing purposes. You bring that also into your app 
as, and you can put it in front of the paywall or behind the paywall. That's kind of your prerogative. But what the thing is, is now I know if I want to hear from AJ, I'm going to go to AJ's app because I'm an engaged user, right? And so it's kind of like you're fishing by putting your podcast out on iTunes. And then maybe what you're doing by putting your podcast in front of the paywall with some ads, you can still make advertiser revenue that advertisers you pick, not that someone else has picked for you. You can put the podcast with ads in front of the paywall to reel in your customer and qualify them to make sure they're worthy to be a part of your protected community. And the minute they start paying for the app, then they have the podcast behind the paywall without ads, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is leveraging your content to validate the fit for the person to be in your community and the community is where the real value is. Okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think again, back to the quickly changing landscape that we're all living in where now Apple is deciding, well, we're going to decide what ads we put on your podcasts. And even yeah. YouTube, it's like, I could put an ad on your podcast today to advertise my podcast if I wanted to. Right. And I think there's just a lot of that of going, Man, it's like I'm trying to create an experience for my audience and exactly. advertisers and big media companies are kind of getting in the way of that. So then the question is about how much content do you reserve for the app versus what you're just putting out there on social media? Yep. So the biggest way I encourage our clients to delineate is the content you put out on social media or in front of the paywall, those should be an invitation right? So it's free because it's an invitation. The content that goes behind the paywall is the instruction on execution, Mm -hmm. right? So the invitation might be a sample, might be the first bite or two, but then the real getting down to the nuts and bolts of executing to solve the problem that you're working against, that sits behind the paywall. And so what happens is, If you have, a, and actually the beautiful thing is you don't really need to have a ton of content that you're consistently refreshing that's behind the paywall. Because what happens is people will go through that content that's behind the paywall and through that build connections with the community that have already been around and been doing the execution. And so people will come for the content and stay for the community, right? Right. So what it does is it takes a little bit of weight off of the content creators. The hardest stuff is teaching on execution, right? That takes a lot of thought, planning, production time, production cost. What you can do once you've established that behind the paywall, then it alleviates the pressure so you can focus more on generating the fresh content that is acting as the invitation, right? Almost like the advertisements to the town square. And the reason why you need to have fresh content constantly is because you as content creators are consistently diluted Mm -hmm. on the town square, right? And so you have to keep up with that pace to continue to invite people in and bring people in. That's marketing, whereas the stuff behind the paywall is building and keeping your engaged community. So then this leads me to my next question, because I agree with all of that, which is what's the likelihood of 
I don't know, even like even in the app store. So I don't know if this is true, but I was told this here recently and it stuck with me that Apple takes about 30% of revenue for every app sold. That's about right. <laughs> they well, okay, so up to a million, they'll take 10%. So nice generous bit there. Over a million in revenue, they take 30%. But something important to think about here is they take 30% of digital content. So if you're selling coaching separately, that's not digital content and therefore not subject to the 30% commission. If you're selling physical products, you're not you're not subject to that 30%. So Appit, what we'll do is we'll work with our customers and get creative with ways to protect your revenue and shield some of that from the Apple tax. So we call okay. it the Apple tax. That's good. <laughs> so, but it's like basically if you're under a million in annual revenue, they're taking 10% of gross revenue. So just build yeah. that into the budget. And so I guess my question is, which I did not realize that. So I think that was really important. I so it came up in a conversation here lately. And then my, so my question is like, what is the likelihood that Apple, just like all of these other platforms, as Apple is changing this with the podcast, start doing this own thing in the app store where they're going, well, now I'm going to decide how things are done because it too is a little bit of rented real estate in terms of you know the marketplace, the grocery store. So exactly around that. Yeah. So we're watching a lot of what's happening with Apple and Google, especially as it relates to the app marketplaces. I don't see Apple increasing commission, nor do I see them trying to make any large changes or dominate app owners or developers for a couple of reasons. First of all, they got in deep trouble with the government on how they were managing a lot of these commissions and what they were doing. And we saw Apple make a pretty abrupt change in their policies from there. The other thing is, for as challenging as Apple can be, they really do love their developer community. And you have to remember, they are motivated to keep developers coming back and app owners coming back because that's a big part of their revenue. And so this is why you'll see like Apple with a lot of their major updates, they're slowing down the impact that it has to developers because they want to keep their developers happy. They have to. It's a big part of their business. The one risk I would say is it's really important for app owners to be aware of Apple's guidelines because they do change. So one example, I'm sure any user who has an app remembers when you'd have to go through an app update and you'd have to click ask app not to track. That was a guideline change from Apple that every app owner was required to add that button back to the user. And really that's in response to user demand on privacy and shifting laws. So building an app is no different than owning a storefront, right? Laws change, customer preferences change, taxes change, revenues change. And I think that's all the more reason to want to have your own app to give you the control to pivot in a way that works best for you. Mm, that's good. All right. Well, I have, we just have like five more minutes and I've got like two questions here. I think that are really important. So this whole kind of concept, you've got 10,000 plus, you know, online followers and that's growing. Then this is kind of like, okay, now let's talk about like, should you have one? Maybe so. And then give us just some high level behind the scenes. What's that process look like? How much does it cost? 
emotionally yeah. prepare everyone listening of real numbers, real timelines. What does it look like to have an app? Oh my gosh. This is the hardest part of the process. Shopping for an app makes TJ Maxx look like a day at the spa. It's <laughs> So, you know, I actually really empathize and I have a high level of respect for all of our clients because building custom software is not an easy thing to find the right person. It's really hard, actually. And the reason why is because you have developers from all over the world, right? And they have different salary needs. So a developer in Pakistan is going to charge a much different hourly rate than a developer in the Bay Area in California, even if they have the same level of experience and expertise. And so I think that element and also the creative element. So how an engineer would approach an app idea or a technical problem, it's up to whatever's in the mind of the engineer. And so one engineer may think that a particular app would take 10,000 hours to build, whereas another developer would think it's only 2,000 hours. And so I think it's those elements of wildly varying rates and wildly varying ideas on how to tackle a problem. And that's where for a single project, you could get a quote from anywhere from $10,000 to as high as a million. And in fact, Appit did recently, we did a competitive study, a, a local against our local competitors and nationwide. And it blew me away. We had detailed features like this is what we want. And we were getting quote ranges that same width from $10,000 to a million dollars. And Appit, we tend to kind of come in like mid-level because we're a hybrid. So it's crazy. It's really hard. And so, oh gosh, I could spend a decision based on, I mean, because I imagine most people make a decision based on well, if I got 10,000 a million, 10,000 sounds a lot better. So but yeah. then it's like, at what cost are you paying that you know fee? So it's like, how do you even make a decision in those types of environments? Yeah. So I, you know what, AJ, I might have to give you a blog on how to vet vendors. Like we had a list of questions that you should ask every single vendor to make sure that they're a fit for your project because price is it like it varies so wildly that it's not, it can't be a deciding factor, right? Because even if you go purely offshore with a very low cost developer, so that $10,000 example what you're missing is cultural context, mm -hmm. right? So you have to respect that offshore development or developers, they build community so much differently than we do in the US. And that's not a good or a bad thing. It just is what it is, yeah. right? And if you are looking to build community, you need to work with somebody that understands how you've built your community and how you want it to be built. And that in and of itself I mean, I would say about 40% of our business comes from entrepreneurs who tried to take the cheap route and have ended up spending what they would have spent anyways. They would have saved the money had they just gone with a reputable shop in the first place. So I would say this, check the reviews. A really, really good place to go is Clutch. 
It's a third-party website. They rank technical service providers like Appit, and you can start to see the rankings. If you want somebody local, you can see who's the best in your local area. But honestly, I think it comes down to relationship. Like you have to work with somebody that you know and you trust or that somebody that you know has worked with and trusted and has done a good job for them. Yeah, I think there's three things that kind of to like to wrap up our conversation because I could ask another 36 questions <laughs> if we had the time. But to everyone listening, Amanda and her team at Abbott have put together something really cool for all of our listeners. And if you're wondering, am I ready for an app? They actually have put together a cool quiz that you can take that will tell you, are you ready for an app? And so if you go to appitventures.com, forward slash BBG app quiz. We will also put that in the show notes, but it's appit, A-P-P-I-T, ventures.com forward slash BBG app quiz. You can go and take this quiz to determine if you're ready for an app. And if you are, then to kind of recap what Amanda said is that then go to Clutch which is a great place to review different vendors. Appit is reviewed on there to do a comparative analysis of, you know, trying to compare apples to apples here. Doesn't really help if you're comparing apples and bananas, but let's look at apples to apples. And then if you will send me the blog link of great questions to ask, we'll add that to the show notes so that everyone listening, you've got three amazing resources to leave this interview with. Go take this quiz. Then you can go to Clutch start vetting vendors. And then we'll include this blog link where you can go and say, these are the best questions that I can ask to figure out who's the best person to proceed down this path. But I think generally speaking, we're all headed towards this privately owned community realm at some point. And at some point just means when you're ready, when it makes sense for you without comparing yourself to anyone else's out there. It's not doing it for the sake of doing it. It's doing it for the sake of this is what my community and my business requires of me at this time. Now, last but not least, if people want to connect with you personally, Amanda, where should they go? You know, if anybody has any questions like, hey, can you review this bid? Am I crazy? Or can you help me build out a feature summary? Have them email me, just amanda at appitventures.com. This is my passion to help people start off on the right foot with technology. So email me. I will answer any question you have. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, Amanda Moriucci. And let's keep in touch. And I'm here to help. I'm here to answer any questions, mostly because I want good tech built for good people and it should be way easier than it is, but it's a challenge. So well, that's we outrageously know. generous. So race for impact. <laughs> I have a lot of your way. Thank you so much. So helpful. So insightful. Uh, so many just good tips, good data points, so many good things to consider. And I know that this app conversation is just like scratching like the top of, you know, the beginning of the surface of the iceberg. I know this is a deep, dark tunnel we could spend a lot of time in, but I think it's a worthy conversation. So appreciative of you for coming on. And for everyone listening, we will catch you next time on the Influential Personal Brand. We'll see you later.
That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.